I know that if I didn't make a mistake when I was making the announcements before the service, you guys would think there would be something wrong with me. So I, so I only do that just to keep everybody alert. Right. In December 2018, all of the approximately 400 St. Paul firefighters trained for ice rescues. The department's firefighters usually respond to a couple of ice rescues each winter. And practicing for them is important because if someone is in that icy water, time is of the essence. Less than two hours after St. Paul firefighters completed their ice rescue training that month, they responded to a call that would put their practice into action. A cross-country skier fell through the ice on McCarran's Lake in Roseville, and St. Paul firefighters were called and were successful in rescuing him and pulling him to safety. It was reported that the new firefighter who actually went in the water to lead the rescue, he said that that day during training was the first time that he had ever been in the water with the ice rescue suit on doing those maneuvers. We sing a song that says, there's a great day coming, a great day coming, there's a great day coming by and by when the saints and sinners will be parted right and left. Are you ready for that day to come? The chorus, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? Second verse, there's a bright day coming. A bright day coming, there's a bright day coming by and by. Again, the question asking, are you ready for that day to come? And then we know there's a sad day coming. The biggest question throughout, are you ready? We see that question wove throughout scripture. Are you ready? In fact, one of the major teachings of Jesus was, you need to be ready, prepared. Science Olympiad, years ago, we actually made it to the, um, we usually were in state, and then one year we actually went to nationals. We used to have a motto, or well, at least for one year, they, it just, the, the leaders of the team usually came up with a motto for the year. And one year we had the model P to the fifth power. Prior preparation prevents poor performance. Now Dale talked about in our Bible study this morning, a tongue twister, here try that one. Prior preparation prevents poor performance. For example, Jesus told the story of 10 virgins. In Matthew 25, we know are all familiar verses one through 13. They were all part of a wedding ceremony. Now, I want to put a little light on this. Back then, from what I understand, marriages were more elaborate than the ones we have today. Part of the ceremony required the bridegroom, the bridegroom, to parade through the city at night and fetch his bride from her father's house. And then he escorted her to the wedding party at his parents' home. So, 
when you read that, I know that I always wondered what were they waiting for or like what was the actual background behind that? This is the background. Picture the bridegroom leaving. He's going through on this trip journey to the bride and then bringing the bride back. Part of that wedding procession included the virgins speak Jesus spoke of. They were like bridesmaids, if you want to picture it that way. And Jesus explained that these virgins were waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. Five of them were very foolish, though, and they had no extra oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise because they brought along enough extra oil just in case. So really, it looks like they were all prepared. But five foolish didn't bring extra. They don't know the length of the trip the bridegroom's going to be on. Sometimes we in our life today think that we're prepared, don't we? I remember in school, you think you're prepared. I still hear it from my grandsons. You think you're prepared, and then you say, wait a minute. There was nothing on that test that I expected to be on there. The professor went a little extra beyond the study guide. Because every once in a while they say, well, they gave us a study guide, but there were questions that weren't on the study guide. In real life, we come into contact with things that we weren't expecting, I'm sure. We get hiccups, they say, along the way. When we first got married, you would think that, oh, man, th th your life is going to be like that. The harmony that you had on your wedding day, it was going to be like that the rest of your life. Well, we know that we had to provide for those little extras that were going to happen. And that's what this was Jesus was speaking of here. They weren't fully prepared. They didn't have that prior preparation to prevent that poor performance. It was a good thing that the wise brought the extra oil because the bridegroom was delayed. And by the time people shouted that he was coming, you picture the dilemma with the five foolish virgins. They're nearly out of oil for their lamps. They begged the other five virgins to give them some of their oil. What do you do? Well, you know what? I want to help you out, but I still don't know how long it's fully going to be. How much do I give you? And then do I have enough? Now we're all in that dilemma, probably. So the wise say, there's not enough oil for all of us. I'm sorry that you guys didn't have that prior preparation. You have to go out and get it for yourselves. And of course, while they were gone, the five were gone, the bridegroom did come. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the foolish virgins came and asked the bridegroom to let them in. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. There are also high school and college professors that when the times come for the class, they maybe wait about one minute and that door is locked. My grandson experienced that once, one of his first classes. I says, well, how'd class go today? I don't know. I didn't get in. <laughs> what do you mean you didn't get in? The door was locked. Did you knock? Oh, no. <laughs> Somehow he must have known. No, I did not. If you're late, that door's locked, then the class goes on without you. And that was the only time he was late that I know of that, you know, then he learned, hey, you better be there on time. And that's what God is saying. Be prepared. Again and again, Jesus warns us, be ready. Jesus closes his parable. Memory says, 
truly I, truly I say to you, I do not know you for those people are locked outside. And then he closes, what does he say? Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I'd like to now go to our text. Our text is actually found in 2 Peter. We are in 1 Peter right now in our Bible study. Our text right now is located in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Peter tells us a very similar message. We're actually going to look at 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 18 is the whole crux, but I'm reading 2 Peter 3, 10 and 11. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought each of us be? I say that there are three kind of givers. Just think about this for a moment, personalities. There's three kind of givers. The flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. To get anything out of the flint, you must hammer it. You must beat it. And you only get chips and sparks. I remember saying to you kids, you don't get much information unless you beat it out of them. I'm sure you've heard people like that. They're the flint. Now you get the sponge. You get water out of the sponge, but you have to squeeze it out of them. The more you use pressure, the more you get out. Or there's the honeycomb. It just overflows, and it's kind of sweet. It overflows with its own sweetness. And I just have to ask you as we go through this, as we're making preparation, and you think of yourself as a Christian or a person, what kind of giver are you? We need to be ready. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And when it happens, there will be no more time to prepare. If you're not ready, the ship will have sailed, as they say, and there won't be another one coming, ever. So, I'd like to give you an illustration. Let's say a wealthy person approaches you and says that he wants to send you on a two-week vacation to some place that you've always wanted to go and he will pay all the expenses. Would you like that? Of course we would. But there's only one catch. Because of the paperwork and lining up the trip, he can't tell you exactly when you are leaving. Uh, it's gonna be in the next few months, maybe within the next year. But when he calls, you only have just a couple of hours to get to the airport and catch your flight. That's inconvenient, but you really want to go. So how are you going to prepare for this trip? Well, you might have to clear things with your family, with your job, with the things at the office, the factory, or whatever, wherever you have commitments. You'll have to get a passport. You'll have to get shots. You'll have to get someone to take care of your pets. Maybe get your mail. And then you'll have to pack your suitcase. But what are you packing for? How much should you take? When are you gonna start preparing for the trip? Now, of course, you've gotta be ready. I don't know if you've ever seen that. There was a show, I only saw it once, and I, I love this type of work. I, I wanted 
If I didn't get an education, I first started getting into police detective and so on. And they had a show where they would give you these people that had to hide from the FBI or, you know, like a, 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 a group like that. And that was, that was part of the thing. They were just, all of a sudden, they got a phone call just saying, you're on the run. And immediately they were on the run. And the FBI then would then try to figure out where they were. And if you could avoid them for a set period of time, like two weeks or 20 days or whatever, you won like a million dollars or I forget the cash amount, but you get a set money amount if you could avoid them. And that's when I learned quite a bit about the, on the highways, they have trackers, like every time you go like on the turnpikes and so on or certain spots, they immediately know if you're driving your car, when you pass certain locations, they can identify where you're at and so on. And it was very cool how they did that. And they tracked you. But these people had to be ready because at any time they got a phone call and they immediately just showed them running around, hurry up, we gotta go, kids, we're leaving, you know. <laughs> and, they, and they would immediately have called their friends to pick them up or whatever they were doing. Well, think about that in an overall spiritual sense. Eternity. I mean, that was just a game show fun to watch and then boom, you're caught. But to think about what it's like in real life, we need to be ready to go. Jesus says on that day of judgment, that's it. And when you hear that bugle and the trumpet, I can't even picture what that trumpet sound would be like, sky opening up. I mean, we've seen some miraculous thunderstorms and so on or earthquakes, but what it would be like, the volume of sound and, and bodies coming up out of the graves. And at that point, you might want to, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, there's no wait a minute. How many times do we say, well, wait a minute, I need to go get, no, there is no wait a minute. That is it. That's what Peter is telling us. Prepare now. That's pretty impressive. Sorry, sorry, Eric, I should have warned you. <laughs> because if you're not prepared, you ain't going. But have you prepared for that trip? This trip to heaven. Now they tell you the location. When we were kids, we used to hear a song, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. If you think about it, I want to see my Savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place. Well, you don't have to get a passport. You don't have to get shots. You don't have to get anyone to take care of your pets or get your mail. And the suitcase, it's not going to do you any good anyhow. You don't have to pack. Because of the glory that God has given us there, we will be dressed, I picture, in this white robe that they talk about, looking like an angel, singing with the angels, praise to God. But Peter does tell us how we should prepare. First, what does he say? He says, be ready to go. You need to be holy and godly. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's not that hard. What does holy mean? Set apart from. And godly means you live for God. If you put those two together, Peter's telling us to set ourselves apart from the world and live for God. It's that simple. At least the principle of it is. You see, a lot of people struggle with that idea because they love the things of the world more than they love God. 
One of the saddest statements in the Gospels you can find in John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. It tells us that many, even of the authorities, believed in Jesus. Even the authorities. People in the, the, the you almost think of the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. Many, even of the authorities, believed in Jesus, but for the fear of the Pharisees overall, they did not confess it. So that they would not put out, so that they were not put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I'm going to ask you a few questions about this. Do not raise your hand. Just think about what you would answer. Are there times that you don't talk about God because you're afraid you offend someone? Or you're afraid that they'll make fun of you? Or you're afraid they won't have or want you around? Do you depend upon the approval of others more than the approval of God? What you depend upon says a lot about whether or not you want to be holy and godly, or if you want to just blend in with everyone else. I came across an article about the South Pacific island of Tonga. Something severed the internet, that internet cable that went out to the island. And the title of the article read, Tonga set, sent back to the dark ages after underwater internet cables severed. It affected their emails, their airline bookings, university enrollment, the writing or the wiring of money, and it prevented businesses from processing credit and debit cards. The thing that amazes me, go to a bank and try to cash a check if their computers are down. They tell you they can't do it. I said, why? Can't you count money? How did they do it in the olden days? I'm old enough to remember, and I'm old, most of you are, that before all this computer phrase, you went to the bank, you gave them a check, and they gave you the money for it. But if the computers are down, they can't do that. I says, I need the money. They said, we don't care. You have to come back when the computers are working. And I'm thinking, my, oh my. And that's what you think about here on this island. It has literally thrown that little country in the chaos, all because they depend on that cable for their daily lives. Here's the deal I'd like to bring in. What do we depend upon for our daily life? What does it take to knock us out of commission? Maybe our cell phone goes down. World of hurt for many people, isn't it? Do you depend upon the approval of others or of God? If it came down to a choice, of whether you lost the approval of others or if you lost the approval of God, which would you choose? Now, that may sound very harsh, but listen to these words of Jesus. We can find in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus himself says, 
Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. The Apostle Paul, oh John, sorry, this time the Apostle John writes in 1 John 2 and 15, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. That's what it means to live a life of holiness and godliness, separate from the world. To be so much in love with God that it doesn't matter what other people think. You are going to set yourself apart for God, from others for God, from others for Christ. So first, to prepare yourself for heaven, we need to set ourselves apart from the world, and we need to follow God. Second, we say, Peter says in 2 Peter 3, now in verses 13 and 14, according to God's promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and to be at peace. We should strive daily to be diligent, to be found without spot or blemish. Holiness and godliness speaks about who we are committed to. We set ourselves apart to follow God. But striving to be without spot or blemish is all about how we should behave as someone follows, as someone who follows God. The spots and the blemishes are sins we commit. The things that we say we do or that we think. We're all going to mess up once in a while, but we should never accept our sins as being normal. It's like going to eat somewhere. I'm sure it's all happened to us. We're wearing our Sunday best. You ever have that where your shirt or your blouse that you're wearing is white? And whores that you spill something on it. It's your best. It's your favorite. Have you ever done that? Mm-hmm. What's your first reaction? You're angry. You're disappointed. You're upset. This is your Sunday best white shirt or blouse or dress, and now it's stained. The rest of the garment may still look pure and white, but that stain stands out. You can't get over it. It might only be a little spot right here, but you can't get over the how rest of the nice thing looks. It's all your focus is right there on that stain. And it makes you feel awkward. It embarrasses you. So what do you do? Well, you quickly get it home. You spray a stain remover on it. You maybe soak it in cold water. I know immediately you start yelling, don't do hot. Don't do, get it in cold water. Soak it. Get that stain out. The stain is not normal. 
You don't like it. You don't want it. So you strive to remove that spot or that blemish. Hmm. That's the difference between those who are committed to Jesus and those who aren't. Those who aren't committed to Jesus tend to ignore the spots, the blemishes in their lives. They're kind of like the guy that uh, you see that you know everything that is eaten for the last two weeks because you can see the different stains on his clothes. Or you can see the, I was reminded of my grandsons, look at each other. It's like you're looking at you, it's like looking in a mirror. You guys look alike, just look and see. If he's got mustard on it, maybe you got it on your face. You know, look at each other. You know, I used to tell them that in middle school, back when was, just look at each other. And if you need to say hello to the wipe, then wipe your own because you probably look just like that. But you think about how that bugs you. The stains are still on his shirt. He doesn't care. He doesn't even try to hide his stains. But those who love Jesus are not satisfied with just allowing the, to their lives to be permanently stained with those little spots of stain. They refuse to make excuses. They refuse to try and hide the sin. What do we do? When that sin is there, we don't want that spot. We take in our spot remover, our preparation, our washing, our cleansing. Hmm. Be buried with him in baptism to walk in newness of life. Be buried with him in baptism to contact that blood that washes away the sin. When the sin that is there, that spot, we use that stain remover, Jesus' blood. Well, if you don't belong to Christ, the first step is to become a Christian, to believe in Christ, repent of your sins, confess Jesus as God's only son, and be buried in the waters of baptism, rising up as a new creature in life. But if you're already a Christian and you've sinned, well, you turn to 1 John 1 and 9. In 1 John 1 and 9, it tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God calls on us to confess our sins, and he will be faithful to remove them for us. Confession is what God has always asked his people to do, but it has always seemed to be the hardest thing that he's asked. Do you remember the story of Adam and Eve? They ate, the, they ate of the fruit that God commanded them not to eat. Then God comes for a visit. Do you remember what Adam and Eve did? They hid. God asked Adam, where are you? And do you remember what Adam replied? I was hiding because I was naked. That didn't turn out well for Adam and Eve. When Cain killed his brother Abel, God comes along and asks him, where is your brother Abel? But Cain hides behind his comment, am I my brother's keeper? That didn't turn out well for him either. All God asks is that we fess up, that we admit that we have fallen short. Turn to him and try to overcome that, that tempts us, to not go back to that. Jesus himself saying, that is true. Go and sin no more. Try to overcome those things that compel us. He removes the stain and we start all over again with a new shirt, a new dress, 
a new blouse. In order to prepare ourselves for our trip to heaven, we need to set ourselves apart from the world. We need to strive to remove the stains of sin in our lives. And lastly, Peter warns us to be careful not to lose our stability. In 2 Peter 3, now looking at verses 16 and 17 of the text. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. You would think that if somebody quotes the Bible, you could trust them, but that's not always true. Peter warns us here that there are people out there who will warp and twist the Bible so it says what they want it to say. Sometimes these people have PhDs. They have the respect of scholars. You see, there are very religious people out there who are lawless when the Bible disagrees with them. They warp and twist. But notice what Peter says about them. They twist the Bible to their own destruction. Now that's scary. That's scary to, to kind of trust and listen to these people. It's only in the Bible that we learn about righteousness. It's about God's will for our lives and about Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us. When these folks undermine God's word, they work at weakening our faith and our confidence. Please don't let them do that. I'd like to close with this story. The story is told of a man who rushed into a, rain, a railroad train station one morning and almost breathlessly asked the ticket agent, when does the 801 train leave? At 801 was the answer. Well, the man replied, if I look at my watch, it says 7.59. The town clock says 7.57. And the station clock says 8.04. Which am I to go by? You can go by any clock you wish, but you cannot go by the 801 train because it's already left. Be ready, because if you're not ready, you're not going. Final verse, 2 uh, Corinthians 6 and 2, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The lesson is yours as we stand and sing our song of invitation.